Welcome to Torah Timecha Nach Yomi with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Adina Blaustein, and today we're going to be studying Nehemiah chapter 10. In chapter 9, the people remained in Yerushalayim after their group Sukkot celebration and participated in a public day of fasting and confession. In their prayer, they acknowledged their unbreakable bond with Hashem, as well as their fervent hope at the conclusion of the prayer for a complete redemption, a redemption where they no longer face the heavy burdens of being subjects of the Persian Empire. What follows now in chapter 10 is a public commitment to mitzvot, put in writing and signed by the leadership. As it says in verses 1 and 2, In view of all this, we make this pledge and put it in writing, and on the sealed copy are signed our officials, our Levites, and our priests. And on the sealed copy are also signed Nechemiah, the Tershata, son of Chakalia, and Zedekiah. And then what follows in verses 3 through 28 are a list of all the people who signed the covenant, beginning with Nechemiah, then 21 priests, 17 Levites, and 44 others. After all the signatories of this Amana are listed, the actual terms of the covenant are then provided. First, verse 30 describes a sort of a general commitment. To carefully observe all of the commandments of our God, Hashem, His rules and laws. And then, there are specific oaths, beginning with the commitment not to marry off their children to the people of the land. As verse 31 says, We will not give our daughters in marriage to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Who are Ameha'aretz? According to some commentaries, these are people who, as we would say today, aren't Jewish. According to other commentaries, however, these are people who were not part of the Judean community who went to Bavel and then returned to Bavel back with Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Their observance is probably suspect, and even their lineage, perhaps, is somewhat unknown. Sanbalat, who we met in the last few chapters, one of Nehemiah's enemies, might have been included in this category. It's clear that people grouped as part of Ameha Aretz don't view themselves as part of the Shivat Zion community, and even more so, were antagonists to this community. It does seem that Ezra and Nehemiah welcome anybody who is willing to observe mitzvot strictly into their community. So this prohibition is meant to strengthen the observance and the commitment of the Judeans living in Jerusalem and in the province of Judah. The next oath that they swear to is to keep the seventh day and the seventh year holy. In other words, keep Shabbat and keep Shemitah. Don't participate in trade and sales on Shabbat. As it says in verse 32, The peoples of the land who bring their wares and all sorts of foodstuff for sale on the Sabbath day, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. We will forego the produce of the seventh year and every outstanding debt. The next three oaths are all somehow related to the Beit HaMikdash. Firstly, there's a pledge of a third of a shekel yearly as a tax to the Beit HaMikdash. The Persian kings Cyrus and later Artaxerxes did give money to the returnees for maintaining 
the Beit HaMikdash in keeping with their general attitude of politically supporting and financially supporting local temples as a way of keeping the peace in their vast empire. They didn't only send money to the Beit HaMikdash, they probably sent money to other pagan temples. Anything to keep the many, many different religions in their vast empire happy and peaceful. But the price to pay for that was loyalty to the Persian government. This commitment in this amana to Jews giving private donations to the Beit HaMikdash means that they don't have to rely on the Persians to maintain the temple, and perhaps it allows the province of Judah to function a bit more autonomously from the Persian government. They also commit to providing wood for sacrifices. Wood is very scarce in Jerusalem and the surrounding area, so this is a considerable burden the people are taking on on themselves. They also pledge to provide the first fruits, bikurim, and redeem the firstborn, and sort of a ma'aser, a tithe, all ways of supporting the priests and the Levites. Just as these oaths in this amana began with a general pledge to keep the Torah, followed by some specifics, these oaths now conclude with a more general proclamation. Ki el halashachot yaviu b'nei Yisrael uv'nei ha-levi et rumat ha-dagan ha-tirosh v'ha-yetzar, v'sham kli ha-mekdash v'ha-koanim ha-meshartim v'ha-sho'arim v'ha-meshorarim v'lo na'azov et beit elokeinu. It is to the storerooms that the Israelites and the Levites must bring the gifts of grain, wine, and oil. The equipment of the sanctuary and of the ministering priests and the gatekeepers and the singers is also there. And that last key line, lo na'azov et beit elokeinu, we will not neglect the house of our Hashem. Keep in mind, the temple had been built roughly 60 years prior to this event, but this proclamation perhaps hints that it had been in a state of neglect, and this amana is needed to remind the people of their commitment to maintain the Beit HaMikdash. According to Malbim's commentary, these oaths characterized a new development in Judaism, and that is the codification of halacha as new situations arose and needed to be dealt with. For example, Malbim notes that the prohibition against intermarriage, according to the strict interpretation of the verses in the Torah, is only against the seven Canaanite nations. But now, in the book of Nehemiah, it's extended to all of those who don't have Jewish lineage. Additionally, the prohibition against trade on Shabbat was not explicitly something that was forbidden in the 39 Melachot. It's not related to the building of the Mishkan in the book of Exodus. But here it is included. So in the development of these new halachot, we see how the leaders are understanding that they must guide a new generation and that halacha will be a tool used to inspire the people in their commitment. But there is another key theme being expressed in these oaths. Why these specific declarations? These declarations are all the types of things that it's quite difficult for an individual to do in the absence of a community. And all of these oaths are things that will define an essential character of a community. For example, the oath that the people have to pay a third of a shekel yearly to the temple, to the Beit HaMikdash. If the Beit HaMikdash will operate independently of the Persian government, the Beit HaMikdash can really become a religious focal point. If the people can really observe the expanded prohibitions against intermarriage, they will be far less vulnerable to outside influences and can really maintain an identity as a Torah-observant community. And if they really can observe the oath and not engage in commerce within the walls of the city of Yerushalayim on Shabbat, 
the city of Yerushalayim itself can take on a flavor of Shabbat every week and can once again become holy again. We noted how the three major movements within the books of Ezra and Nehemiah were the dedication of the Beit HaMikdash, the rededication to the Torah, and as we've seen more closely in the book of Nehemiah, the rebuilding and the rededication of the city walls of Yerushalayim. Those are the major pillars of the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And in these oaths that they've established in this Amana in Nehemiah chapter 10, each of those major pillars are supported. As we'll see in chapter 11, Nehemiah will continue to support the newly rebuilt city of Yerushalayim by going back to something that had been brought up earlier, which is the need to ensure that there is a strong and thriving population within the city of Yerushalayim. Thank you for studying together. Le'ilo Nishmat Rose Foreman, Rachel Rachel Bat Arye Lieb, and Rachel Zeitlin. Rachel Bat Shlomo.